Welcome to Season 2 of Passing the Peace, featuring Amy Meyer and Nancy McCraney. Passing the Peace is a podcast with a progressive look at faith, religion, God, the Bible, and some other stuff. If you're listening right now, it only takes a few clicks to help us out. You can subscribe to Passing the Peace, you can give us a review, and you can even share the podcast with someone who might be interested. Believe it or not, this episode was recorded before the entire world changed because of COVID-19. But once again, it's remarkable how some of the themes that we talk about in this recording relate almost in a fascinating way to what's going on today. So here we go. I hope you enjoy the podcast. Christmas Eve is my favorite, favorite night of the whole year. And I don't know when that started, maybe when I was a child, but I like it more than Christmas. Mm. I like the lights and the anticipation and Mm -hmm. the, there's just this feeling of kind of pulling in and coming to church and then going home and having little special snacks. And there's just something about it that I love more than anything else. And there's also something about our worship service on Christmas Eve that I just love. It's it's like it's so dark, mm-hmm. and but the church is all lit up, and often it's on a night that it we wouldn't normally be here, and mm-hmm. so it it just feels like this little, almost Christmas card of a little church with you know lights in the window and people you know gathered, mm-hmm. and. I get really weepy during Christmas Eve services, Mm -hmm. partly because I love the story Mm -hmm. and it's such a part of my life now after all these years. And I think it's such a true good story and just the gathering of people in the dark waiting for the light. And I think this year in particular, I've not felt this much sort of distress about the world and what's happening nationally and globally in a long, long time. And so the need to draw close to other people and uh, look for light and trust that one little pinprick of light, the mm-hmm. darkness cannot overcome it. Yeah. And so I really needed to hear that this year. Mm-hmm. So I just loved everything about it, and I'll just keep gushing. <laughs> That's okay. Do it. <laughs> Um, I also want to say that you told the story about the Nutcracker that so resonated with my own. I couldn't believe it. Nancy mentioned two things just now. She mentioned the story that has become a part of her life. She's talking about the scripture reading from Christmas Eve, and I'll play that for you at the end of this podcast so you'll be able to hear that. The other story is a personal story I told about the Nutcracker. So let's listen to that now. I want to share with you that my very first experience of a ballet was when I went to see the Nutcracker as a small child. I suspect that might be many people's first experience of a ballet, and maybe many people's only experience of a ballet. Uh, I read recently that most ballet companies have no choice but to perform the Nutcracker every year because it generates half or more than half of their revenue for the entire year. People who don't see any ballets all year long will go during Christmas time and make their pilgrimage to see the Nutcracker. 
And I was one of them. When I was a kid, I went every year. When I was in third grade, I grew up in the Round Rock School District. I think they still do it. Third graders, every year, go to see the Nutcracker. So I saw the Nutcracker twice when I was in third grade. I loved it. I remember loving it. I remember loving almost everything about it. There was a few parts near the beginning that weren't my favorite. If you've never seen it, it's okay. If you don't remember the story, it's okay. It's not necessary for you to know the story in order to enjoy this story that I'm gonna share with you. But basically the main character, Clara, near the beginning, she's at a party, a Christmas party, and she receives a nutcracker. And most people know what those look like. They're ugly and they're wooden and they're stiff. And I remember thinking, Clara is crazy because she was so happy to receive this Nutcracker doll and to play with it. And in my opinion, it just was not the kind of doll that my third grade self or any other normal person wanted to play with. And then also kind of near the beginning, there's um, some mice that come to life and there's a rat king or a mouse king and he's kind of scary and there's a little bit of a battle that happens between the Nutcracker and the Rat King. So that part I, I wasn't real fond of, but then everything after that I loved. They go into this kingdom of sweets, and there's all these dances and costumes and music, and there's the dance of the candy canes and the sugar plum fairies and the flowers, and I just thought it was amazing. I was absolutely enthralled as a child every year watching this ballet. Well, I don't know at what time I stopped going yearly. It might have been around middle school, just when sports kind of started to pick up and maybe I was old enough to start thinking that I didn't really need to see it again because I'd already seen it so many times. But it still held a special place in my heart. In fact, I remember when I was in high school, everyone was shifting from cassette tapes to CDs. And I remember one year in particular, we were all getting CD players for Christmas. And I remember my parents got me three different CDs to play on my new CD player. Metallica, Journey, and Tchaikovsky's The Nutcracker. <laughs> and I still have Tchaikovsky's The Nutcracker. I, it's a bit scratched, but it still plays on my old CD player. Uh, I listened to that CD all through college because I was an art major and whenever I was working on a project, I always felt like I was more creative if I was listening to classical music in the background. And I always felt like I could work longer on a painting or a drawing or on a project if I had some music playing. So I listened to that CD all the way through college and beyond. So the, the ballet held a special place in my heart, even though I didn't see it again until 2006. My husband and I had been married for quite some time, and I discovered that he had never seen the Nutcracker. He was 31 years old. He had never seen the Nutcracker. So I bought tickets, and I will say he wasn't real excited to see the Nutcracker. Ballet is not you know, his thing. Um, but I was so excited for him to see it that he started to get excited. And then when we went, and it's all these families and all these people that are just like dressed up and so excited, and the anticipation in the room is palpable. He was, by the time we were in our seats, he was really into it. And then as we were watching this ballet unfold, 
I remember sitting there at some point and thinking, okay, it's going to get better after the um, fight, and then they'll go, okay, this is a little more boring than I remember. <laughs> and <laughs> it kept going, and I just, I slowly started to realize it just wasn't as magical for me as a 31-year-old as it was when I was a child. And then when it was over, my husband kind of turned to me and was like, okay, so that was the nutcracker. <laughs> and I was like, yeah, that was the nutcracker. <laughs> and I thought, you know, there's some things that are different about it than what I remembered when I was a kid. First of all, it's only kind of loosely tied to Christmas. It starts with a Christmas party, and there's children who get presents, and there's a tree, okay? And then there's the treats, kind of like the sugar plums and the candy canes that you would typically see at Christmas. But I was sitting there and thinking, you know, there's no Joseph, there's no Mary, there's no Jesus. So it's just kind of loosely tied to Christmas, which is okay. But I remember thinking the original author of the original fairy tale, I think, must have been in a drug-induced state. <laughs> and he had to have been. And, and he was craving snacks. And it just happened to be, you know, during the Christmas season, and that's how this entire ballet came about. And, and so I also realized, too, there was one part that I noticed as an adult, and it made so much more sense to me than it did when I was a child. It's the part where the Christmas tree grows. There's this part kind of near the beginning where the party's over, the kids are going, you know, they're all in bed, it's late at night, and Clara, the main character, comes back out to the main room where the Christmas tree is because she wants to check on her nutcracker. And the clock strikes midnight, and then the little mice that are supposedly there in the room turn to life-size and dance around. The nutcracker turns to life-size and dances around. And the Christmas tree grows all the way up tall, like crazy, to the tall ceiling. And as a child, what I thought was happening was that just everything was getting bigger, because that is what was happening. Everything was getting bigger. But as an adult, as I was watching it, I realized, oh, that's how they're artistically portraying that she was getting smaller. It wasn't that the tree actually grew, it's that she was shrinking. <laughs> and so that kind of caught my attention in an interesting way, because I, I didn't understand what was happening when I was a kid, but as an adult, I got it. And I was like, well, that's kind of cool. But for the most part, it was a little hard to pay attention to. A lot of it was boring. <laughs> I do remember, I was like, they have great knees and hips. Like, <laughs> that's how I watch any, like, athletes. <laughs> because I have terrible knees and hips. I'm like, they're, you know, I appreciate the athleticism of the dancers and any time I watch any kind of sport like that. But the, the magic that I was just kind of so enchanted with when I was a child just wasn't there for me as an adult. And I think that sometimes we can start to feel that way about Christmas. We can kind of feel like, Maybe the magic of Christmas that we remember, maybe not even as a child, maybe even just as early as two years ago or as recent as two years ago, maybe that magic feeling of Christmas isn't, isn't there. I think sometimes we can get stressed out or overwhelmed 
We can be uh, grieving either a situation or grieving the loss of a person. We can um, get so tied down with the stress of the season that it just doesn't feel quite the same way as it did when we were younger. And I think that's a normal way to feel. And I think it's okay to feel that way. I think it's okay to have mixed feelings and mixed emotions around Christmas time, particularly if you're grieving or if you're having a difficult time. It's okay to have those mixed feelings. But one of the things that has always helped me when I'm kind of thinking in that way is I try to focus, and it's so simple and so kind of almost cheesy, but it's so true, is I just try to focus on the actual meaning of Christmas. And she's one of them. The laughter of little children. But it's important to remember that things like that are important. It's not so much the sugar plums and the candy canes. And, and yeah, that stuff is fun, you know. But it's more about the things that really matter during Christmas. And it's really, really about what we call the incarnation. The incarnation that happened a little over 2,000 years ago. It was a, a dark, violent world. The world was in grief. The world was in darkness. And then the surprising nature of God entered in in an unexpected way. So now when I think about the Nutcracker, I still think about the kingdom of sweets and the candy canes and the chocolates and the tea and all the different dances. But more importantly, I think about that moment when the tree grew, because that's the moment when Clara shrunk down and entered into the Nutcracker's world. And in the same way, God shrank down and entered into our world as a, as a baby, took on human flesh, not because God had to, not because there was some kind of weird cosmic equation that God had to fulfill, not because God was required to do it, but because God wanted to. People weren't expecting it. People weren't really ready for it. But then there came a light in the darkness, a, a life-saving reminder of the most important truth, that the darkness cannot and does not and will not overcome the light. So now we're going to hear Nancy tell her story about the Nutcracker and share some of her reflections from that night right after this brief message. So, you know, I grew up, I took ballet when I was a little girl. I didn't take very long, um, but I took it for a little while. And then my mother took me to the Nutcracker and it was magical. Yes. <gasps> Everything was larger than life. And I just, you know, I loved the music and the dancers and I just loved it. And I know I've been to the Nutcracker half a dozen times at least. Yeah. And then just discovered a few years ago that my husband had never seen the Nutcracker. And I was like, oh, come on, you know, we're going. And we went with some friends who had never been to the ballet ever. And um, we didn't have great seats. It's kind of expensive. Yeah. But I was so excited. And it was so boring. Yeah. 
I thought, what have they done to the Nutcracker? And I, Bill was fidgeting, and at intermission, he was like, "Is this it? Yeah. Like what?" Because he loves the ballet. Now, Bill loves the ballet, but okay. he likes the really athletic kind of, maybe more modern, or I don't know. I don't know the terms for all the kinds of dance. But yeah. um, we go to the ballet a couple of times a year, and he was really bored. Yeah. And I realized, oh we're seeing it from different eyes. So I loved that you told that story and, and then connected it with, you know, the, the story of Christmas and with God getting small. So you told the story of how in the nutcracker, the tree gets bigger, mm-hmm. which until you said this in your sermon, I've always thought of the tree gets bigger. Me too. It never dawned on me that it's what's her name? Clara. Clara getting smaller, right? Yeah. Shrinking down. And so the tree appears bigger, which is a mirror of what our experience was when we first saw the Nutcracker, because uh-huh. it was this larger than life magical experience. Mm-hmm. Um, but the idea of God sort of coming in human size to be born among us, that was just a huge insight for me. One thing that I heard you say in a connection that I made in my mind was that like, the magic and sort of the nostalgia and the, you know, almost quaintness and the sweetness and the truth of the Christmas story and everything about Christmas Eve has stayed with you your whole life in a way that, for example, the Nutcracker did not. It yeah. didn't. Yeah. Yeah. And I feel that way about Christmas Eve, too. Like, yeah. it does not disappoint. No, never. Yeah. And I, I used to feel guilty that I loved Christmas and Christmas Eve more than Easter. Oh, really? Yeah, because, you know, Easter is this big. But but then Richard Rohr, Father Richard Rohr said, well, that's the the real miracle is that God became flesh, mm-hmm. that God became human. Not that the other's not, but it's just, to me, that gives me so much comfort and peace mm-hmm. and looking for that. Where is God being born in my life right now? And then I recently heard this black woman theologian named Christina Cleveland. She's somebody I've just discovered. And she was talking about the womb of God Mm. and that maybe we're the ones being born in the Advent season or in the Christmas season. So what about me needs to be born Mm. into the world so that the world can see light? I I know. I'd never quite thought of it that way before. Mm -hmm. We always sing Silent Night at Mm -hmm. the end. And I can't get through it because I weep. And I love when we raise our candles at Mm -hmm. the end. And I always, always, well, not always, but in the last few years since the Harry Potter movies, have thought of that scene in one of the last Harry Potter movies where they, this little ragtag group of beaten up, you know, witches and wizards raise their wands Uh and they light up. Uh And you think, oh my word, you are, you're so outnumbered, you know, the, the darkness and the forces that oppose humanity and and unity in this world are so much stronger than you all, but but they hold their lights up in the air. And I always think of that yeah. and think, okay, this is what we are here to do. Mm-hmm. It's true. And maybe it always looks impossible. Maybe that's just how it looks. Mm-hmm. But that, that even being love and being light in the world is an act of resistance against the forces that would oppose that. So one thing that happened that was unexpected was that 
at seven o'clock when it was starting, I honestly looked around and thought, I guess it's just going to be me and five other people. (laughs) (laughs) What's happening? For some reason, everybody was late that night. And and between seven and seven twenty, there was a steady trickle. Uh huh. And by the time this one group of, of people came in, and I don't know who they were, but they ended up having to sit in the choir chairs yeah. in order to all sit together. And so that was interesting how people just kept coming in. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and, you know, the Christmas Eve service is not even an hour. Mm-hmm. So, so it's something that if you're late, you're missing quite a bit mm-hmm. of it. So it didn't even occur to me, but I think it occurred to you, that some people didn't have bulletins or candles or, you know, um, because they were just trickling in and they right. weren't, just didn't know to grab them. Yeah. I always try to be real obvious during communion about, you know, this is, everybody here can take it. I don't want to look specifically at someone who's not been there before and like, and that means you, so please come, you know, but I try to be real obvious that everybody's welcome. Well, so I thought I did that. I don't remember my words, but I I felt like I had been inviting. And then some of the people that I didn't recognize came up Mm -hmm. for communion. And the funny thing is that the first person, the way that she came up, I think she was just excited to be taking communion, but the look on her face made me think that her look was like, hey, it's me. Uh Uh-huh. And so I paused and stared at her, perplexed, because I thought, should I know her? Uh-huh. And I love that, the way you just said that, hey, here I am, or it's me. Yeah. Almost like, yeah, anybody can show up at the table, yeah. and and you're recognized, even if we don't know you. Yeah. It's you, you know? I think that's a kind of a beautiful thing about the table. It is you. We've been waiting for you. But Jesus is like... Jesus knows you. Yeah. Even if the pastor's saying, It's like, huh? What? (laughs) (laughs) Right. As promised, you get to hear the scripture readings now. You get to hear the story that can shape your life. And after that, I hope you stay tuned because then after that, we'll have a song. And then even later after that, after the outro, if you stay tuned all the way through the outro, there'll be a little special surprise. Here is the story. God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. The angel went to her and said, Greetings, you are highly favored. The Lord is with you. Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. But the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you are to call him Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. Because Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law and yet did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. But after he had considered this, 
an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. The young woman will conceive and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him and took Mary home as his wife. In those days, Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world. This was the first census that took place while Quirinius was governor of Syria, and everyone went to their own town to register. So Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea, to Bethlehem, the town of David, because he belonged to the house and line of David. He went there to register with Mary, who was pledged to be married to him and was expecting a child. While they were there, the time came for the baby to be born, and she gave birth to her firstborn, a son. She wrapped him in cloths and placed him in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn. In that region, there were shepherds living in the fields, keeping watch over their flock by night. Then an angel of the Lord stood before them and the glory of the Lord shone around them and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid, for see, I am bringing you good news of great joy for all the people. To you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is the Messiah, the Lord. This will be a sign for you. You will find a child wrapped in bands of cloth and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest heaven, and on earth peace among those whom he favors. When the angels had left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let us go now to Bethlehem and see this thing that has taken place, which the Lord has made known to us. So they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the child lying in the manger. When they saw this, they made known what had been told them about this child, and all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds told them. But Mary treasured all these words and pondered them in her heart. The shepherds returned glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen as it had been told them. Here ends this first section of readings. It is a blessing to hear it. And the next reading is from John chapter 1, verses 1 through 5. Listen again for God's word to us this day. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that has been made. In him was life, and that life was the light of all humankind. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. I had forgotten that at the end of the service, the recording was still going. 
but I'm glad that it was because now I can play this song for you. This is the Silent Night song that we normally sing on Christmas Eve as we hold our candles up. And I hope that as you listen or as you sing along, that you can imagine yourself as part of that experience. As Nancy said, as part of the ragtag group of witches and wizards holding their wands up, just shining your little bit of light in the darkness along with everyone else. That's it for this episode. Remember to stick around for a few minutes if you'd like to hear a little bonus clip at the very end. Music for Passing the Peace is provided by two wonderful Austin musicians, Eric Garcia, that's Eric with an A, and Isaac Ruth. They do podcast music and some other stuff too. You can reach them by email at booking at I-J-R-O-U-T-H music. Remember, it only takes a few clicks to help us out. You can subscribe to Passing the Peace 
you can give us a review, and you can even share the podcast with someone who might be interested. This is Amy Meyer coming to you from the First Presbyterian Church in Elgin, Texas. You can find us on our website at fpclgin.org. That's First Presbyterian Church in Elgin, Texas. If you enjoy the kinds of conversations that we have here on the podcast, and if you think these kinds of conversations are important, then we invite you to join us. If you're in the area, come and join in on those conversations. Until next time. The peace of Christ be with you. And also with you. Now go and pass the peace to everyone you meet. Yeah, so I loved everything about the service. I, I was surprised when, for the offering, Barry played from the Nutcracker. That really tickled me, and I think it made a lot of people. Yeah. It kind of brought them joy and tied it in with the sermon. Yeah. Yeah, and you can't hear it. I went and listened. I listened to the recording. You can't hear it on the recording, but as soon as he started, there was an audible, oh! There was, Yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah, people were, uh, it brought them joy. Yeah. I was going to say, people were tickled. Yeah. yeah.